Hey everyone, welcome to the Actors Diet Podcast. I'm Lynn Chan, and today my guest is Lisa Q. Fetterman, who is somebody I met from a secret feminist Facebook group and has now become a friend and somebody who I admire greatly because I was just watching her kick ass on Shark Tank recently saying all kinds of things that I don't understand. But the number one thing that I'm most excited to talk to Lisa about is the fact that she is married to someone named Abe and she's also Asian. Yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Lisa Q. Fetterman. And also over at her house, drinking wine and eating chocolate with her is another member of said secret feminist society, Stephanie Hughes. Hi, guys. <laughs> okay, so Lisa, let's talk about our Abes. Oh, my goodness. Abe, dude, when I first met Abe, I was like, no way. This guy's name is Abraham. No way. I'm going to get married to an Abraham. <gasps> I'm going to get married to an Abe. And now he's my Abers. My, you call my, him my Abers? Parents. Yeah, we call him Abers. My parents saw his name Abraham, and he was like, oh, they were like, oh, yeah, so his name is pronounced Abers. Ha! And, and that's the way he's been um, our whole lives together. He's Abers for life now, and he loves it. When did you guys meet? And how uh, we, met, we met in 2010 at the gym and he took me out on a date. And six months later, we were engaged and we had a company fast and furious. And let's go into the company a little bit. So the reason that you were on Shark Tank was because of Nomiku. Is that how you pronounce Nomiku? Namiku. Yeah. Not Namiku. I mean, Nomiku would be the correct Japanese way. And it is a Japanese word, nomikui, which means eating and drinking in Japanese. But we Americanize it because we like the word nom. It's N-O-M-I-K-U. So nom, 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 nom. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And nomiku is, you want to explain? Nomiku is the first ever home sous vide emergency circulator. We literally invented home sous vide emergency circulators, which means that we invented precise temperature home cooking. You take our machine, clip it onto any pot that you already own, and then put your food inside of a bag and put it in the water and walk away. When you come back, you have a perfectly cooked meal. Our machine is 100% made in the United States, in San Francisco, and um, it connects to your phone. Yeah, tell me about that. Yeah, we have an app called eTender. It is the largest sous vide community on earth. And you can click on the recipes and have them talk directly to your machine. Man, Okay, let's go backwards for people who have never had sous vide before. How would you describe like the kinds of meals that you end up eating that have been sous vide? Is that well, a verb, sous vide? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. Well, it, it just means cooked well, honestly. It's all about precise temperature cooking. So um, ever since the dawn of fire, we've been trying to control it, whether it's with a fancy copper pot or with, uh, <clears throat> or with you know, a beaker to properly cook. Um, so for an example of how important this is, is that at 57 degrees Celsius, when you cook a steak like that, that's the exact temperature where the collagen and the fat will melt down into the muscle, making each bite so juicy, tender, and delicious. You can make an NY strip taste like Wagyu. And to this effect, this method of cooking has been industrially used for over 50 years. And Namiku itself is used by Noma, Saison, Restaurant Meadowood, Jose Andres. We're used in Osteria Francescana, which is the number one restaurant in the world right now by the World's 50 list. And the reason for that is, is because chefs do require precise temperatures when they cook, heat, 
is the ultimate secret ingredient in the kitchen. And now everybody has the opportunity to cook like that. And so if you were cooking for a lot of people, would you just require a bigger pot? That's exactly it. It doesn't necessarily taste long, uh, take longer as long as you have them in separate bags and you don't increase the thickness of what you're cooking. So let's say I have um, a vampire dinner, our secret Facebook group, yes. and I invite like yes. six of my best girls from there. I put in six steaks in six different bags, and at 57 degrees Celsius, it takes me an hour or two, and then they be ready. We could be chatting and drinking and having fun right before and uh, as soon as we're ready to eat, I'd, I'd saute them in a pan or finish them up on the grill. And all of our plates would be red piping hot. And we have perfectly medium rare juicy steaks. Oh, this sounds uh, really good. Um, dad, when you come in, Lynn. <laughs> yeah, no, it sounds so I'm actually married to a vegetarian. So I wonder, like, this might be a good way for me to just prepare something just for myself. And, like, could I possibly prepare something for myself and then sous vide some carrots for him or something like that on the side that's exactly where it shines is for families with special diets like you know do not tear your family apart if your teenager becomes vegan you can cook their tofu for them while you make your own salmon like i have a family that the wife loves salmon and the whole rest of the household cannot stand the smell not even the smell when she cooks it so she cooks it in her namiku and they don't smell it it's inside the bag. Um, the same thing goes for uh, people who partake in the hashish, the marijuana. You can make weed butter in your own house and not stink out your entire apartment complex. Dude, and do you have a recipe for weed uh, butter? Uh, absolutely. This is one. Absolutely. <laughs> of course. I, I, I do everything sous vide. So there's this wonderful chef called Monica Lowe, and she has a website called Sue, S-O-U-S, W-E-E-D, SueWeed.com. And you can get every type of marijuana sous vide recipe from that website. I wonder if there are dog biscuits on her website because I am wanting to calm my elderly dog down when I move upstairs in a few weeks. That's that's what's up. That's, <laughs> that's very compassionate of you. Thanks. And and, and, there, and there are a lot of people who definitely do that. Um, I recommend going on a private Google search for that. You don't want that on your search history. Yeah, no, I don't. So back in the day, before you were sous vide um, did I just make up another word too, <laughs> sous vide um, were you... You're the mother of invention. I'm just, any... just, just going to use sous vide as a verb for everything from now on. So back in the day when you were growing up, where were you growing up and how, what were you eating? Well, I first grew up in China um, until I was seven. And then 94, I came to New York. So in China, like we were eating stuff that is like hot and trendy and now a foodie thing. Like all Asians are foodies by default because we just eat all the weird stuff. Yeah. When we're yeah. born. And then, and then we're like, oh, you eat that now, person? <laughs> that like, was like, are you talking about like, um, like uh, Shifan and like Shifan or, or I mean, uh, other people know it as congee, con con yeah. um, or or uh, quote unquote know, pork floss. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, I I watched the videos of you and your mom making food 
And back then, that was like, when I first came to the States, that was pretty exotic. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty standard now. You're right. It's pretty standard. Um, we're so lucky that food has moved in this direction where people are like really woke to food processes, the real cost of food, and food that's good for your body. And we're, we're part of that trend. So when you were little eating that stuff, um, did that translate when you came to New York? Um, in a very unusual way. So when I was little, when I first moved to New York, I didn't know you were supposed to change your clothes every day. So I would just wear the same clothes for like a week, which is normal. I'm a little kid. I don't sweat. But then I became like a pariah at school. People were like, oh my gosh, she's so gross. She wears the same clothes every day. By the time I figured out you have to change your clothes, it was too late. I had gotten a reputation and all my clothes looked the same, so it didn't even matter. Um, And then one day this girl uh, felt sorry for me, so she came over for dinner. I got my parents dressed up. Like I made my mom basically wear her wedding dress because I was like, you got to look nice, my new friend. And she came over. We fed her um, pea dan which is basically uh, thousand-year-old eggs mixed yes. with some tofu, like this green and black egg, right? Uh, the, the yolk is basically graphite-colored. She eats it. She doesn't talk for the rest of the evening. And then I go to school, and I'm so freaking scared. All the kids surround me, and they say, Lisa, Lisa, can we go to your house and eat the weird food? And I was like, oh, it, it's magical. Yes, you can come over to my house and eat the weird food. I, I love that. And that's how, um, you know, that's how I kind of got acquainted with American culture was that America embraces the strange if you're really good at strange. Yeah, I don't know if my mom's pee down would <laughs> have the same response, but it sounds like your family knows how to cook. Mm-hmm. And my father was an entrepreneur, which is how we landed in America. So definitely had that brewing already in my head. So aside from the Chinese food that you grew up eating, what were some other kinds of foods that you were um, enjoying and or cooking yourself? When did you learn to cook? Um, I learned to cook, I mean, since I was very little. I didn't even know it was considered cooking. It was just like, you know, feeding yourself. <laughs> and I would, I would learn how to, uh, you know, make a scrambled egg. That was simple and that was fun. I love being able to nourish myself and cook for other people. My parents, you know, suffer through so many of my childhood dinners. Uh, <laughs> it was like there was like a Family Matters episode where somebody who didn't know how to cook made uh, macaroni and cheese, and they used mustard. I basically kind of made like the equivalent of that for a lot of. But dishes. you know what? Mac and cheese tastes good with a little bit of mustard. It really does. But not when it's full mustard. Yeah, I guess not. Found out. And I also love that you just brought Family Matters into this. (laughs) Great, great show. TGI Friday, you know. Now let's fast forward a little bit. Where did you go? Did you go to college? I did. I went to NYU for college. I have my um, degree in journalism from their journalism school. So what was the college food scene like for you? Ooh, uh, well, it was, I mean, the first week that I was in college, I interviewed to work at Babo. I spoke perfect Italian at the time. I actually went to college on a scholarship from the Sons of Italy for excellence in Italian. And I begged Mario Batali for a job in perfect Italian, and I got it. That Ooh, was my first job. Do you job still know ever. how to say that? Um, Domenticato tutti, which means in Italian, I forgot everything. 
But get, I mean, if I go on a vacation in Italy, I'm sure I'm going to regain some of it back. So you begged, you begged Mario Batali for a job in Italian. He thought I was just so precocious. He was like, "Go ahead. You want to clean the bathrooms? You want to take coats? You want to do soft service? Go ahead. By any means, I'll we'll we'll teach you the ropes." And I got a great education for from hospitality from Caroline there at Babo that I will never forget. I mean, I it learned me basically taught me like home training or like manners for real life too. Mm-hmm. I think I've been to Babo once. Is that the one in the village? Am I yes, the, right the village. It's right next to Washington Square Park, right next to NYU. Okay. I, I think I've celebrated an anniversary way back in the day with my Abe. Um, yes, uh, but it's been a while since I've lived in New York City. So fast forward to after college, um, where were you at then? Uh, after college, I worked at Hearst as, uh-huh. as an editor, and then I met Abe, and he was like, hey, on our first date, he's like, hey, um, so what are you into? I'm like, oh, I'm really into food. I'm saving up money to buy this huge hulking piece of laboratory equipment called an immersion circulator for sous vide cooking. And he was like, oh, um, you could just make one. We ran to a hardware store. We got the components and we made our first prototype. This was your first date? Yeah. <laughs> That's actually very romantic. Oh, I know. But no, how he- did you know about sous vide? I knew about sous vide from working for my Batali, for, for Jean-Georges. Every kitchen I worked in that had its stripes, that had Michelin stars, had one of these like $2,000, $5,000 immersion circulators. And so you were obsessed with it already and wanted to recreate that at home or what? Completely obsessed. I was so impressed that you could know so little and make such amazing food. Yeah, just I like that idea food. too. Yeah, just put your food in a freaking bag. And then put in the water. That's it. That's no, it's like it. it's like a camping person's dream. Can you bring this camping? It's perfect for camping. Fried chicken. So I sous vide my chicken beforehand, uh-huh. and then I bread it while I'm camping, and then I just throw it and, and fry it, and it's the best fried chicken anybody's ever ate around the campfire. They're like, how is this possible? So it's also, running also, on battery. Uh, well, you plug it in, so you have to have an RV or somewhere okay. to plug it in. Um, but like. Where it's most impressive is where you have an RV and you go to Burning Man. So we also have a food program in San Francisco where we ship you frozen sous vide meals that we created. So it's our chef's recipes. And you can, I mean, like people will buy in bulk. They'll buy like 50 meals for their entire camp for Burning Man because they're 12 bucks each. And you can like live off that for a very long time. It's great for like pregnant women who are about to give birth. They stock their freezers up. It's great for people who are going through chemo. Um, they don't have time to cook, so they stock their freezers up. It's great for people who just have no, basically no time on their hands. They're eating. You're eating basically like a three-star Michelin meal straight from your freezer. And how would people find that that meal delivery service? Uh, you can find it at eat.namiku.com. Currently, it's only in San Francisco. Also, like a lot of people like to make their own dishes and freeze them. That's a fantastic way to do it. Oh, I have a internationally best-selling cookbook called sous vide at home that's out you can find that on amazon although it's temporarily out of stock we actually sold out of books on amazon which is unheard of because my publisher is penguin random i mean we can print out books as long as the day is long and we sold out 
Congratulations. Thank you. Okay, so I want to know a little bit about how that feels being super duper successful because I, as an actor, never feel super duper successful. In fact, I feel that opposite feeling constantly, which is always rejection. And so I would love to hear what that's like and the thoughts that go in your mind as this is happening. Because I think a lot of people would love to have that success for themselves. I think a lot of people might not think that, I don't know, subconsciously might think they not, don't deserve it or, I don't know, self-sabotage comes to mind. So I want to hear about your, um, your thought process a little well, bit. Well, Lena, I'm going to tell you, it never changes. It never changes. If you feel rejection now, you're going to feel rejection on a cosmic level when you have more success. It's shocking. It's shocking that the more successful you are, the bigger your rejections are going to be. You're going to go for even bigger stuff and you're going to get rejected and it's going to feel 10 times more awful. And then you're going to revisit like my, my problems were so small five years ago and now my problems are so much bigger. Um, I was talking to one of the most successful CEOs in my mind. Um, his name, I for, like, I forget his name at the moment, excuse me, but he was the CEO and founder of Evernote. And I talked to him. I was like, hey, how does it feel to be so successful? Because he sold his company and everything. He's done. He's a VC now. And I asked him, how does it feel to be so successful? He's like, Lisa, I'm going to tell you straight up. It only gets worse. It only gets worse. It just feels more and more awful. And the rejections get more and more and more and more. It cuts deeper each time. That's what I hear from actors who are very, quote unquote, successful. Right, well. right. Yeah. Exactly. And it, it never changes. You know how like when you read your diary from a long time ago and you're like, wow, I'm so dumb. How could I write like this? I'm so dumb. I wish I never wrote this. You want to like burn everything? Well, you're, there's no such thing as your past self. There's no such thing as your current self. That's all, phys- that's all, um, that's all philosophical constructs. All that exists is right now. That's it. And which means that you are really stupid and undeveloped right now. And as long as you sit with that and you're like, okay, I got it. I'm not that great, but I will do everything that I can right now. I'm just as bad as I was five years ago. Like, it's not like we get better. We're no better than the person next to us, no matter what we've done. It, it just, it just doesn't change. You just got to keep going. That's it. And what I have, what I have garnered, I don't know, um, this is not advice or anything, but what I've learned is that the the process of moving forwards is the best you can do. It's the best you can do. And if you are able to do that, then you are doing your absolute best. You're at 100 if you're moving forwards. You sound like somebody who works out, which <laughs> I think you must since you met your husband at the gym. Like that, mi- <laughs> that mindset. I'm going to the gym. Oh my God, you're, we're laughing so hard because Steph and I are eating chocolates right now and having wine. Like, no, I don't work out, girl. But, but. I am wearing Lululemon. Yeah. <laughs> Which counts, right? That's that's something. Right? Well, that I love it because you sound like someone who does and yet you don't. So I want to be like that because I don't work out. And I want to sound like someone who does. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. As as long as I think, Lynn, you're very successful. You're very successful because you're still here. You're still pushing. Nothing has taken you down. You're on this podcast grinding, talking to people, getting the word out. That is what's up. That's the best. Yep. Thanks, girl. Okay. Let's go back to food 
And I want to know, first of all, what kind of chocolate are you eating? We are eating a box of C's candies, the nut and chew variety oh. that uh, my landlord sent me for Christmas, which I mean, hi. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we eat free food. Are they Hello. different Hello. flavors or are they um, all the same flavor? No, it's a variety pack. Oh, it's of, an actual uh, box of chocolates. <laughs> it is a literal box of chocolates. We yeah. Very Forrest Gump up in here. We're excited. <laughs> Just, it's good. It, it's, it's lots of good textures. Um, very sugary, like old school. But it's pairing well with the French wine. So we feel like it's a good, it's a good Monday. Are you guys, are you guys wine people? Yes. So. Um, girl. <laughs> so what wine, what wine pairs well with this, with this chocolate? Uh, today we, well, we've, <laughs> we, we've gone with the screw top variety. <laughs> we started with a Grenache and then we've gone into it like a French, uh, Cote de Rome. So Yeah. Pretty good. Okay. Yeah. That, that does sound good for an afternoon, Monday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> um, what does a typical day's eats look like for you, Lisa, today? Oh, today um, I got up and I forgot to eat breakfast. And so I doubled down at work and I had four cups of tea in a row. Then I came over to Steph's house where I brought soup. We had chicken soup and then we had menudo. Which the first time I had menudo, so much tripe. Wow. This is just tripe. It's just tripe liquid. Wait, so menudo tri is tripe? Yeah. I always just knew them as that group. <laughs> that singing group. <laughs> I know. I know. Wait, and it, that group was called tripe? Yeah, exactly. Tripe liquid. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and I had that, and then we, you know, we just searched for more things to eat inside of Steph's house. This is what I'm going to do if I go to your house. We're like, oh, my gosh, Lisa, I'd love to have you over. And then after I leave, they're like, oh, my gosh, she ate me out of house and home. <laughs> <laughs> when you were growing up, did you go to other people's houses and, like, snoop around in their fridges and pantries? That was That was all I did. And, like, some parents were just like – she eats a lot, and so, and the the parents that loved me would would like buy snacks before I came over, and line them up. And I was like, "Ooh, thank you." I do love me a good snack. What are your favorite snacks? Um, my favorite snacks are um, the number one thing that I love is people's leftovers. Uh -huh. I, lo I love leftovers so hard. Um, so Thanksgiving is a good holiday for me because all about the left. I don't even eat that much. Thanksgiving Day. It's all about the leftovers afterwards, all like smooshed together and microwaved. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to ask and, if you ate them cold or, or hot. Sounds like you, yeah. you nuke them. Got, got to nuke them. Um, my favorite snacks are, you know, fun little Japanese snacks that come from Japan, individually wrapped. They're so artisanal and crafty. I love dipping everything in good olive oil. We have a great olive oil store next to me called All of This, All of That, where they travel just like four hours to to make their own olive oil. So I'll just buy a vat of that and dip all the things inside of it. All of, did you know that you can dip everything in olive oil? That's what I found out. I did not know that. Are you dipping chocolate in olive oil? You can dip chocolate in olive oil. You can dip your you can dip your whole body in olive oil. Olive oil was the original coconut oil, and I'm still not over it. So <laughs> I'm still all about olive oil as a snack, any kind of snack that you can do with olive oil. Um, and then I like it when, um, well, right now definitely it's like the holidays. So uh, people do a lot of cookie swaps, and I cookie swap hard. 
what's your cookies what's your cookie swap go to my cookie swap go to so my mother-in-law is canadian she makes these things called butter tarts which are basically just like pure sugar i had one of those when i was in vancouver at a starbucks of all places dude yes yeah it's a thing it's like a hardcore thing in canada and i love canada i would convert to canadianism for butter tarts so you make butter tarts uh, my mother-in-law makes butter tarts. Okay. Yeah, and I, you know, I convince her. I try to convince her throughout the year to make butter tarts. She's like, ah, uh, ah, uh, I only make them during the holidays. And I'm like, ah! So right now I have a whole tin of butter tarts in my house. I stare at it and I and I force myself to only have one a day, like a vitamin. <laughs> so I don't get it all. Um, I have a question. Can you sous vide desserts? Absolutely. Oh, yes. So lemon curd is amazing sous vide, and you can do it a thousand different things. So I really actually hate frosting. I can't stand buttercream frosting. I can do uh, I can do sour um, not sour cream, but you know like uh, what's it called? Cream cheese frosting. Cream cheese frosting. Yes, I can't, I can't stand buttercream frosting. It gets hard when you refrigerate it. It's it just tastes like the stuff that you need a stent later for in your heart. Like I can't do that. But um, I love lemon curd, and I love using lemon curd as the frosting in the middle of a cake. Oh, you know, yeah. like cake raise. I love lemon curd, and you can make that sous vide. You won't get any lumps because you're cooking at exactly the perfect temperature. Chocolate, pot de creme, and I make them in those tiny ramekins, and they're perfect for the holidays because I just put a little bow on top. I drop it in the water. Well, before I put the bow on top, I drop it in the water, and then I sous vide it in my Namiku, and they're perfect pot de creme. I just pop them in the refrigerator, and I just throw them out to everybody. I'm the fat fairy in my apartment complex. They're like, no, Lisa, stop feeding us. The pot de creme, you put it in the ramekin and then put it in the plastic bag, or it's in the plastic bag first, then you no, pour no, it no, into no, the ramekin? I just put it in the glass ramekin, and I seal it. Like, I seal jam, and I just put it in the water. I submerge it in water. Oh, man. I bet you can make dolce de leche also, huh? Yes! That's exactly it. I make dolce de leche in that, that way, too. I make my ice cream base sous vide. I make bitters sous vide. I infuse my own gin sous vide. So during the holidays, people are drunk. They're fat. They're diabetic around me. They're just like, Lisa, please, no. And I'm like, there's one simple solution to help you with all your health woes. Just have me come over to your house. I will eat all your leftovers. <laughs> And I will eat all your snacks. Um, but you can't bake cookies in them, obviously. Uh, well, the dolce de leche is great for alfarjenos. What, what, what are those called? I can't pronounce. Yeah, I think that is what they're called. Those sandwich oh, yeah. cookies. with Right, the... sandwich cookies with dolce de leche in yes. the middle. So that's fabulous. <clears throat> I would... Um, there, and then there's one big thing that I really, really enjoy, which is poached pears. Namiku sous vide. Because the pears cook in their own juices for hours and they never break down, like they don't get mushy, but they're perfectly custardy. <gasps> I wonder what a custard, what would happen if you put a custard apple in the sous vide? Because you know, those custard apples, they taste like custard already. You'll take a custard, you'll take an apple, <laughs> custard apple. That's what I'm thinking. That Japanese guy in leopard suit. Putting the custard in the apple and then into the namiku, it's it, it would it would be it would be meme worthy. How often are you using your sous vide machine at home? 
Uh, with my Namiku, I use it absolutely every day. And especially when I just had my baby. My baby's three now. And when I had my baby, I needed to pump my milk a lot. We would freeze it in the plastic bags. And then I was like, oh, I could just warm the plastic bags up to my, my exact body temperature. Oh, my and it, God. Yes! And it would retain my, all of the vitamins and minerals that I worked so hard to squeeze out of my nips. And then my baby would have all delicious nutrients. So my baby is a very happy baby. He is 99th percentile tall. He wears five-year-old clothes. He's only three. <laughs> that's an, if that's not an ad, I don't know what is. <laughs> right. Exactly. What kind of – you know how like a lot of um, like slow cookers and blenders and whatnot, a lot of kitchen appliances, they take up a lot of room. How much, how much space does Namaku take up? It fits into a drawer, and it clips onto a pot that you already own. Like, I invented this when Abe and I had, like, 300 square feet. Um, our bedroom was hilarious. It just fit the bed. It was just a bedroom. But exactly, like, a room for a bed. It barely fit inside the mattress. Like, And we fit, we fit like, eight sous vide prototypes in our bedroom. So, so our machine was made to be small, and it's the smallest, most powerful device. Like, in its power class, we are definitely industrial grade. We can handle up to 10 gallons of water and it's so small it fits into it, it fits into a drawer. What was that moment like when you like did the prototype and it worked? Oh my gosh. You know, have you ever like dreamed that you could have done something in the past that affects your future better? Like you bought Apple stock when you were eight. Basically when we when we started sous beating, uh, we, we made the prototype, we saw into the future, we we're like, oh my God, we're gonna be billionaires. Everybody has to cook this way. It's so freaking simple. And like once you can see the future so crisply, so clearly, it was like the hand of God like pulled away the clouds and the sun shone on my face. I was like, we got to do this. How amazing. It's such a good feeling. Like you see it so clearly. And like which makes like when people say no or when you get rejected so freaking crazy. Like don't you see this? It's yeah. What, how do you deal with rejection? Like when someone says no, which happened on Shark Tank. Yeah, um, I would I would just forget it immediately. I just put it out of my head because there's so many people that say yes. There's so many people that say yes. That's good. You, yeah, and like a lot of and a lot of times you can learn a lot from why people say no. You can say like, hey, I know you said no. Thank you for the feet. Uh, thank you for uh, the quick decision. Can you tell me why you said no? I really like to learn from what happened. Was it me like? Uh, and some people have told me, like, Lisa, you were just too abrasive in the meeting. It took the partners aback. That was one VC meeting that I had. They're like, yeah, you weren't listening. You just you it just seemed like you didn't listen and you didn't have a plan. Um, and I was like, OK. And then some people gave me really like legit feedback if I asked for it. I'm and sure they other people liked that about you, too, though. That those things. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's more people in this world that are secure enough with themselves that they like that kind of stuff. And that's how that's how we've been successful is that people um is that people we have enough people believing in us than people who don't believe in us so you're in san francisco and i want to know some good places to eat there okay so san francisco the best restaurant in the world number one is saison it has three michelin stars i used to work there when i first moved to san francisco and it was the best it was better than Jean Georges, where I used to work as well, three Michelin stars. They're just so inventive, so creative. It is also known for being the most expensive meal. 
uh, on the West Coast. It is the most expensive restaurant in San Francisco um, by a mile, a country mile. But the great hack is that you can eat at the bar. You still have to make reservations, but you can eat snacks at the bar, samples of their menu, and have drinks, and it costs you way less. And it's a fantastic experience. I highly recommend that. That's a good hack. Now, what's mm-hmm. what's some even less costing meals, meal options? Uh, a big group of people, I highly recommend Coxcomb with Chris Costantino. That's fantastic. You eat, basically, it's like a game of, of throne feast. You can have an entire pig face there. <clears throat> it's really fun. And Chris Costantino is a San Francisco legend. He really is. He won Top Chef Masters as well. Um, and then I really, really love Ichi Sushi. You got to go to Ichi Sushi. Martha Stewart, when she came to San Francisco, that's the place that the only restaurant she ate at, Ichi Sushi. It's great. It's by this couple, uh, Aaron and Tim Archuleta. They're they're like uh, of Latinx origin, right? And they and they make some of the best sushi. Like Tim talked talked to me about when he used to work at a Taco Bell. And now he's one of the best sushi masters in San Francisco. It's incredible. Speaking of Taco Bell, well, actually, just speaking of Mexican food, uh, where to get a good San Francisco Mission-style burrito? Well, San Francisco Mission-style burrito, go to the Mission and go to, to Taqueria El Cancun. Now, that's the business, $100 million. If they could... <laughs> freaking freeze that and ship that all over the place wow that is an amazing burrito that's like a moment when you only feel and taste burrito what is it that's so special about it the perfect balance of flavors um the girth (laughs) it is like the burrito of your drink i eat a burrito for lunch like half the burrito for lunch and half the burrito for dinner that is like dream yes that is the dream that is like such a that's Burrito such a delight. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Steph is, Steph is criticizing me for being a burrito size queen. But size matters when it comes to burritos. I'm hella into it. To carry out Cancun. Um, the best tacos are definitely uh, La Taqueria, which just won an award recently. So it's com- constantly mobbed. The lingua taco there is heaven. I like, I like to have one with a soft shell and then they do a hard shell too. Oh, man. I, I need to plan a yeah. little road trip up to San Francisco. It's it's really amazing. Burrito taco. And then there's one another taco place, uh, another burrito place that people swear, swear by, Il Farolito. I'm into it. I'm into it. But it's not as, like, fresh and real. It's, like, 2 a.m. It's 2 a.m. burrito. It's 2 a.m. burrito. Enchilada Suiza, 2 a.m. Farolito, gold. Other, yeah. Any other time, you're like, why am I eating this? Yeah, if, if, if you're sober, you should go to uh, Taqueria El Cancun. Okay. <laughs> if it's not two, if it's, if it's noon, like, like, like if it's right now, three o'clock. Yeah. But you guys could be, you know, drinking a little more wine and yeah, maybe I mean, you'll saunter over there. Three is technically evening. <laughs> so, yeah, we're good. <laughs> well, thanks so much, both of you, for talking with me today. Our distinct pleasure, Lynn. It keep inviting badass femps to the yeah. vampire. Well, <laughs> um, Stephanie's going to be on, I hope, uh, in a future episode. But I really appreciate this. Also, just listening to all your advice about life. And can't wait to get my hands on a sous vide machine. Um, quick question. I am married to a vegetarian. What are some good vegetarian things that you can make in a sous vide? Because you did mention tofu, and I'm like, really? Sous vide tofu? Yeah. 
tofu um, infusing it is really good sous vide. Tempeh is really amazing sous vide. I would say all of fruits and vegetables sous vide are really incredible. Um, cocktails sous vide are really, really gorgeous. Um, when you when you cook carrots with butter in the namiku, the, the butter deeply infuses into every cell of that carrot. So what happens is that the carrot cells are slowly releasing their liquids gently from their cell walls, and then the butter goes into it. It's a butter carrot. It's a butter it's, carrot, yeah. yeah it, I, I eat it. Uh, I can't speak. That might make me drink um, carrot juice if I took that and then pureed it. Oh, yeah. Dang. I mean, yes, I guess you add butter to anything. You can just take a stick of butter and add your fruit juice into the blender. <laughs> you know, but I don't think enough people do that. I don't think enough people drink their their butter juice. Bulletproof juice. Yeah. It's the new new. Make it happen in L.A. Uh, quick, tell everyone where they can find you. You can find me on namiku.com, N-O-M-I-K-U.com. You can find my book there, our cooking machine. Right now we're running a $50 off special for Shark Tank, Shark Noms 50 gets you $50 off and we ship everywhere worldwide yeah worldwide oh awesome maybe some of my relatives in Taiwan would appreciate so let's let's get it it's perfect Chinese food (laughs) exactly perfect for Chinese food maybe we can make some thousand year old eggs in them that would be killer full circle yeah right let's get it let's let's return to the motherland